Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about writing and reading. On this episode, I am joined by the writer, editor, and educator, Bryony Quinn. Bryony teaches at a handful of design programs in and around London, including the University of East London, Royal College of Art, London College of Communication, and Camberwell College of Arts. She's worked closely with Bricks from the Kiln, former guest of this show, co-editing issue four of that publication, and has contributed essays, writing, and other editing to a variety of publications and books, including initiating at the London College of Communication their student-driven publication, A Line Which Forms a Volume, which is a sort of um, anthology of writing and research happening there. In this conversation, Brian and I talk about her originally studying illustration before moving into writing and how writing for the d- website It's Nice That Right Out of School really helped hone her writing skills. We also talk about how she teaches writing to design students, the role of the editor, and how she works with students to make their research public. And we talk about her own research interests, especially uh, this really kind of peculiar and fascinating subjects that she's interested in, like obliques and handwriting. If you like this show, I hope you consider supporting it on Patreon. We offer three monthly tiers, $3 for students, $5 for patrons, and $10 for superfans. They give you access to all sorts of bonus content, like a monthly newsletter, early episodes, transcripts, and exclusive interviews, all while helping to financially support this show. So if you like scratching the surface, if you want to see it continue, I hope you consider joining us on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash surface podcast for all the details. That's patreon.com slash surface podcast. You can go there, help support the show, and uh, get all sorts of bonus content. Thank you, as always, for listening. And here is me with Bryony Quinn. I want to start this conversation with talking a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into all of this. You have a BA in illustration. Uh, You graduated in 2010. And then in 2015, you got an MA in critical writing and art and design at the Royal College of Art. And this is very interesting to me. It seems we're about the same age. Um, I also have a a BFA that was in graphic design. um, So a little bit different than illustration, but then went back to grad school at about the same, uh, same amount of years after that you did um, to really focus on on writing and criticism. And I'm kind of curious about those those five years or that time kind of between undergrad and then going back to, to study critical writing. Can you talk a little bit about your kind of early interest in illustration and, and what you wanted to do with that? And then where this write, interest in writing and kind of decision to go back to school to study writing came in? So I studied illustration at Campbell College of Arts in London. Um, although before that, um, I'm from Somerset, which is southwest England, um, very rural, um, and I uh, I'm from a very large family. I'm one of seven children, and it kind of felt like um, everybody else was already <laughs> doing the things. I thought I want that for myself, um, and I originally thought I was going to go to university to study marine biology and oceanography. That was my dream. Uh, to study at St Andrews in Scotland yeah um because it was very far away and very close to the ocean and um you know university is like a romantic thing um so that was a kind of fantasy 
um, uh, the kind of academic direction I'd sort of been on um, throughout my kind of school life, college life um, was, yeah, it was kind of taking me in the opposite direction of where I should have really been going. And I had like an opportunity given by one of my sisters um, who already lived in London and just graduated from medical school um, to go and live with her. Uh, and she encouraged me to do an art and uh, art and design foundation degree um, at this art school. I had no idea about, I didn't even know where Camberwell was. Um, and I sort of just did this about turn away from the kind of science and maths uh, that I've been studying at my A-levels and uh, went to art school. So um, I think that's like the first big about turn uh, for me and uh, kind of threw me into um, being incredibly sort of independent with my decisions about where I would um, sort of move from that point. Um, and that was really supported by my tutors at Camberwell, who uh, I actually am a one of my closest collaborators now, Peter Nagini. He's, um, he was one of my foundation tutors. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a cliche, but I found myself, I found my people. And um from the foundation, I was able to sort of go straight into the illustration uh, course. And those teachers I had at foundation also moved into the kind of undergraduate um, side of things. So I was taught by the same people I, um, from foundation. And that it basically was a relationship with those tutors um, that kind of remains to this day. And I even teach at Campbell um, on a kind of associate lecturer uh, role. So you know, it's, it's a through line. Um, so yeah, uh, my, my journey to Camberwell was, um, not what I expected. Um, but, um, I was kind of given everything I needed without knowing what it was that I needed. Um, and illustration, the choice to do illustration and not, you know, fine art or graphic design, um, was really actually about the people teaching me and wanting to, uh, continue to be taught by them. Um, so illustration itself was actually, I don't know, kind of secondary to um, my interest at that stage. Yeah, that's interesting. It was more about the people. I, I don't mean to to like label this in any way, but were you a like visual person? Was this, you know, I mean, I, I'm just curious about this kind of sudden turn from kind of the sciences into the to the arts. Um, was this something that you were kind of interested in? Yeah, Before, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? I mean, to put it kind of glibly, I was just interested in everything. And I think I just took for granted my ability <laughs> right, right. to be able to draw things and make images. Um, like it was a kind of a cool thing I could do, yeah. but in a very sort of secondary school mm -hmm. kind of way, you know, I thought it was only good for designing tattoos for my you know fellow classmates when we were like 15. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't totally convinced that you know that was where my career lay and that I should be doing something kind of serious like oceanography um and because I was also you know sort of good at science and sort of good at maths I thought I could sort of do that but um no I took it for granted um and when I finally sort of focused on it as the thing uh, like the center of what I would do um it was like I kind of came into myself in a sort of slightly embarrassing way um yeah so I mean <laughs> there's nothing like a persuasive sister to really kind of get you on your get you on your way um but yeah illustration was just like a revelation 
it's, it continues to be a revelation because, you know, at its essence, it's, it is this phenomena of making things visual and, um, you know, um, especially those things that are maybe invisible. So where does the writing part come in then? Or when did you start writing and how does that relate then to the illustration work? Um, through reading, really. I, I think I come to design through mm. um, reading. Um, I have always read very vicariously and um, in the kind of many sort of professional um, hats that I've worn over the last sort of 10, 15 years, um, publishing, um, editing, writing, um, reading has always been like the through line. And that was um, that mm. was something that at Camberwell was really um, encouraged and to sort of bring in um, subject matter um, and areas of research that mm. are quite like far away from the discipline. And there was this one project we did um, where ostensibly one of the only classic illustration briefs we were ever given to sort of work with a book, to illustrate a book. And um, we had a set list of texts. Mm. And I was the only one that chose this book by W.G. Zebel's The Ring of Saturn. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And that's like a book that I reread maybe every other year. I, I just pulled that out the other day thinking it's time for me to reread this. It's been a yeah. while. Yeah. Um, it bears rereading it um because it's like this kind of psychic journey as much as a kind of physical walk for a landscape for anybody who hasn't read it um you can sort of return to it again and again because um, part of it is memory part of it is kind of a physical journey so yeah i mean it pretty much embodies um the kinds of writing um and the kinds of subject matter that i'm most interested in um in that it's not really about any one thing um or you know, it has any one kind of mode. I mean, I see that. I see that influence. As soon as you said that, it made perfect sense. The Zabal kind of influence on your own writing. But I'm, I'm curious about, I, I don't want to call it a move from illustration to writing, but you, you do go back to school to study critical writing. Right. And I'm kind of interested in that, that move a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I struggle to get to the point sometimes. So um, let me get to this point. No, um, no, go for it. From illustration, um, in in truth, I didn't do enough of the illustration work when I was at uni. I, I did too much of the reading, too much of the research um, and too much of the writing around it. And I was quite capable of Got talking it. about things that weren't my own work at length. So um, I had to kind of harness that in some way. Um and I was also on this kind of fierce, like independent, you know, drive away from, you know, my youth or whatever. So I um, mm -hmm. found myself looking for internships um, from quite early on in my undergraduate. And I worked for a couple of um, kind of illustration based studios um, before I started working at It's Nice That, which is like a, well, I don't, I mean, mm -hmm. you, do you know It's Nice That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Course. Okay. Right. Um I can't assume <laughs> that everyone knows. So um, I was their first intern and um, I was working with the two directors, Alex and Will. And at the time, it was exactly what I needed because I was, um, you know, voraciously reading around my subjects and exploring all these different practitioners. And um, I just really wanted to be like in the scene and um, kind of share this knowledge. And um, Alex and Will were um the kind of perfect kind of recipients for that and I was also just like very active and um took a lot of um uh you know they allowed me to use my intuition when I was there and I 
ended up working there after I left uni for a couple of years um suffered a kind of inevitable burnout from just like too much reading um and but more than that you know it um it's nice that it's a platform for creativity and it's been a you know a wonderful sort of launching pad for like loads of creatives but um I wasn't actually able to write about the things that I was most interested in or write about them in a way that um was like natural to me I was like putting on a voice you know like a nice voice um and as the name suggests Mm, you know mm -hmm. Uh, th- there wasn't always a space to be like critical about um, the things you're writing about so it really was just mm-hmm. you know kind of a platform and this is at a time as well when like tumblr and there were just so many of these blogs um, and like personal blogs where it's like image aggregation um, and no context and kind of taking things um, and sort of I don't know sometimes sort of elevating them to like this maybe unfair status in a, in a kind of broader scheme of kind of visual culture um but the yeah. there were just so many initiatives that we were doing it's nice that that I you know I sort of still feel very proud of but yeah I sort of felt myself very like you know moving away from it um and feeling quite distant um and also you know exhausted um so I left and um did the freelance thing um and still wasn't able to write about the things I wanted to write about but I'd made loads of contacts while I was at It's Nice That. And one of those contacts um, was an editor of the Royal College of Art Journal, ARC. And um, she'd been sending me issues of um, the RCA Journal and uh, one day just like delivered it to the studio and um, we became friends. And she, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, bullied me into um, doing the same course that she was on at the RCA. Um, this is Charmian Griffin, just the name and shame. Um, who now works at uh, Art Angel. Yeah. Um, so after being bullied to um, take this course, it was like the best thing anyone could have ever done because it was the exact um, space I needed to exercise a kind of writing um, and the kind of subjects that I was yeah. most interested in. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did a kind of right. um, a kind of writing, which is like, um I guess it's like the crossfit of writing in the you know short sharp essays mm-hmm. um about like a singular subject um very light uh kind of glib you know but really I hate to say churning it out but you know we really produce like a lot of content yeah and um it taught me to be not precious about the kinds of things I was writing about but at the same time you know try and give as much attention as you can to that to that subject um but I don't know if you've read anything I wrote for it's nicer um I I mean I don't think I've read anything I've written yeah (laughs) yeah I did but you know I it was almost like I had a different tongue in my mouth um and now I speak differently it's like changing my handwriting I see that I went back and read a bunch of your it's nice that pieces to prep for this (laughs) no it's it's okay I was I was impressed by the range like you said the range of interests uh that you had in kind of the things you were writing about and you started to answer what my next question was going to be because mm-hmm. i i also feel very fondly for the kind of blog tumblr <laughs> form and in many ways that's how i started writing also you know mm-hmm. i was i was finishing up college at the same time and and had a blog where i was kind of posting all this stuff that i was interested in and kind of how i built up my my writing muscles i guess you could say and i'm what strikes me in this story is that you were kind of 
you know, cranking out these stories, edits mm-hmm. nice that really quickly. And then you you felt like you weren't doing the type of writing that you wanted to do. And so you go freelance and you still felt like you didn't have the the kind of space to do the type of writing you wanted to do. And it's interesting to me that you seem to have a kind of clear vision or at least an idea of what kind of writing you wanted to do. And mm. I, I want to know, you know, what that was and why you felt like that was the kind of writing that you wanted to do that you weren't able to do at these other places, basically. Um, that's a great question. So I think I, in a way I was living this like dual life where I was um, researching and writing for this one particular platform. And then my reading life was like in this totally other sphere um, mm. where I was just really getting into essays um, and loving this idea of being an essayist um but I was young Mm. and you know sort of barely 22 23 at this point and feeling incredibly self-conscious but also you know super proud to be like um writing such a large readership and um getting to write every day and being paid for it and um meeting all these creatives and you know all the rest of it um but because of the formula for the kind of articles that I was writing I wasn't I, I didn't think I was capable of writing in any other way. I'd never been sort of tested in that way. And although, mm. you know, I was learning how to construct sentences, uh, barely, my grammar, <laughs> ugh, my punctuation, my spelling, ugh. Um, by the, you know, by the time I sort of made the decision to leave, um, I was just so self-conscious that I wouldn't be allowed to write in another way. Mm. Um, and so there was mm. a time where I sort of, wrote for like adjacent publications and websites where you know it was a similar kind of writing sometimes you know more length but um the first couple of attempts I I made to write something that were much closer to like how I wanted to um sort of articulate my position in the world um was such a failure um and were met you know with basically I was requested to like rewrite things and so there was like a lot of um, mm. shame attached to that kind of move away from the it's nice that writing mm-hmm. um, where I felt like you know you're shit and you know it so you know mm-hmm. what are you doing um, but then I had this kind of encouragement from um, from Charmian and I attended conferences like this kind of outsider person pretending to be an academic um, you know where you sort of surrounded by people who are doing their PhDs and they're like oh you know where are you and I'm like oh yeah no I'm nowhere you know I'm just here (laughs) having a lovely time um but also just listening and reading and yeah um and I attended a conference at at the RCA um where there were a couple of students speaking and um a couple of the tutors and I just thought okay you know here are my people and um I made the decision with very little um uh knowing very little actually about what would actually the course would actually entail um, and so I actually went in there with um, that lack of confidence. But um, over the two years, because it's a two-year full-time course, um, yeah, I really kind of came into myself and um, was able to produce like a, a an actual body of work that even now I still use as a kind of vehicle for things I'm doing. You know, the subjects I was mm approaching then I still explore now and there are methods um that I have taken from my tutors and applied to my own teaching so I just got so much out of it it's like yeah um 
yeah. it was kind of everything yeah. so the kind of writing that I wanted to do was um a it was kind of about like curiosity you know about sort of attending to like a singular subject mm. um and really going for it you know like really going deep not wide like seeing how far you can go into it and what you can reveal from that and so from that mode of um kind of inquiry this like deep dive um I sort of found what are I guess like essayistic like cliches like etymologies um where I would just like obsessively write about the origins of particular words that are kind of familiar in design language but mm. um are maybe not explored so much so and I was given free reign to do it and loads of support and I had mentors there that you know kind of defined um were able uh I was able to like redefine myself without um uh, without the kind of stigma who were you reading at this time and like who who were your kind of models that you were following because what's interesting to me is exactly what you just said you're kind of writing about these very peculiar topics that you're still writing about peculiar topics which mm -hmm. we can talk about in a bit about those topics <laughs> themselves um and the form of your writing changes you're you're playing with structure and and kind of rhythm and you're kind of moving between different modes and yeah. I'm I'm curious kind of who you were looking to and reading um, that kind of helped maybe influence or shape that way of thinking about writing. Okay, so I was still concerned with like writing about design or at least writing about like kind of um, visual culture and creativity. Like I felt like those were, that was like my safe space. You know, I knew artists, I knew designers. So um, the kind of people I was reading um, who were also kind of writing about that were um, Brian Dillon, who was actually a tutor mm. on the course yeah. at um, Critical Writing. And so he was like uh, hugely influential on me. Um, I'm reading uh, Brian's supposed sentence right now. I love, oh, I great. love his writing. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that book is just like, you know, it's like Smarties, isn't it? You just sort of eat one and yeah, it's he's... joy yeah he's great yeah, he's um so he's so good <laughs> um yeah I mean I actually ended up um working with Brian on a few things while I was at the Royal College this is kind of like another strand to that course was the the freedom you had to sort of make relationships with you know tutors and other things were like within the institution so you weren't like just passively receiving knowledge like it was super super active and mm. um the tutors were incredible in terms of um sort of finding situations for you to work within that would like push you in certain ways Brian um so he's a UK editor for cabinet magazine and that was one of the things I was reading cabinet magazine you know this um, mm, okay. compendium okay. of like essays about really kind of curious sometimes like banal but made fantastic subjects um Stephen Connor <laughs> um was one of yeah. those um writers so Stephen Connor mm. you know from a very English lit um, space writing about plugs, you know, and making it kind of fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Cabinet Magazine, Brian, um, and there were like a few other essays that had sort of come across um, like my path over the years. There was this one by a writer, uh, uh, an academic called Jennifer L. Roberts, um, who I read in Grey Journal back in, I think, mm. 2012. Um, and she wrote this text called Post-Telegraphic Pictures, um, which was like kind of transformative. And it was it was just there was just one idea in it that um, 
um, made me think I must write like this. And it was uh, the when the telegraph machine was invented, um, communication was like suddenly instantaneous. Um, you know, could cover vast distances almost simultaneously. Um, but um, mm. images were left behind. Um, and up until that point, images and text had always traveled at the same mm. speed in the same medium, you know, newspapers, books, whatever, you know, and could reach, you know, as fast a speed as a train or a horse or, or whatever. But when the telegraph was mm -hmm. invented, you know, writing went into space and images were left behind. And I just, I thought, what a fantastic moment to write about. And yeah, I wish I could sort of inhabit that space with her and, you know, write from that point as well. <laughs> So, um, yeah, they were just yeah. like random um, texts, which were, um, I don't know, they, they, they often had like a very particular thing for their subject, but were able to explore this kind of macrocosm around it. Um, and I think what the course at um, the RCA did was um, give me the tools to start writing about um, my own subjects um, with that kind of intention and also, you know, the confidence. It's interesting to hear you say that. And I'm curious about how that does or does not connect to your background studying illustration. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think going through art school and, and being, you know, I'm putting this in quotes, you can't see me, but like <laughs> being an illustrator, <laughs> um, but like, does, do, does that education, did that, do you think that changes how you approached writing or does does anything from that time affect how you think about being a writer uh yeah I think about writing visually um m mostly in the way that it's sort of structured mm. and um when I'm researching I'm researching I'm sort of putting things into frameworks that are um conceptual and visual and um I hardly ever sort of write from a point where I'm just thinking about like the text on the page. It's just um, maybe an example mm. of this is um, something that I teach, um, which is this idea of using a kind of model for your writing that you can manipulate to hopefully reveal areas of knowledge where, you know, um, you need to kind of plug that gap or find a site where something really mm. interesting is happening. Um and that it's like maybe an interesting access point. Um, so, you know, we work with like quite formulaic diagrams, but we um, sort of push things into relation with each other and sort of look at what the immediate connections are that you can kind of make um, by like literally drawing a line between them and asking, you know, how, like, what is that line made up of? Like, what is the idea that connects that point to that point? Um, and that is for me, um, something from illustration, um, that is like a, mm. you know, it's like illustration is like a set of methodologies. It's not um, any particular kind of discipline. Like I said, it's it's a phenomena of making things visual. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the things that was definitely encouraged by um, my tutors at Camberwell um, was this idea that you know you can you can pursue any subject that you're interested in. Like nothing is off the table. Um, mm. Uh, but the important thing is to sort of make connections between you and it um, and to use your experimentation right. and your kind of reasoning and your, um, you know, when the time comes to write your dissertation, you know, use your arguments um, 
to yeah connect your position to that subject um and so I've always sort of taken that quite literally in the you know this idea of locating yourself or orienting yourself in a subject like I think of when I'm writing I think of myself as being like in a kind of physical location and my subject is uh various distances from me or beneath me or above me and I have to sort of reach out to them and make those connections Mm. and so yeah it's like writing a series of connections and sometimes those connections are made by themes um like kind of affinities you know just looking for consequences between things um yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. not a fixed thing but I um that's what I endeavor to do is just to write connections between things you hinted at what my next question was going to be you Mm -hmm. kind of saw saw where I was taking this because you know I'm also somebody who who comes from a kind of visual education uh who also thinks about writing very visually and then is also like you in a situation where I am teaching writing to design students Mm -hmm. who often think coming into the class that they don't like writing that writing is hard that writing is boring they, they like learned it in a different way and so I think all the time about how you teach writing to design students or how you teach writing to people who have self-identified previously as visual people and not writing people and I and people who just you know frankly sometimes don't even want to be in the class because Mm -hmm. it's a quote-unquote writing class how do you how do you kind of think about that and how do you think about um teaching writing teaching uh you know kind of the, the research and the theory to art and design students um at its core I think um inviting them uh, giving them the space to make those associations between things that feel personal that don't feel like a uh that they're reaching outside of themselves or assuming some kind of voice or um taking a position on something that isn't um personal um or at least you know relates to their experience um this is of course you know where some people get stuck on writing is feeling that you know they they can't you know read theory or um you know that their their position on um something as a student is somehow not like um legitimate because they're they're a student you know um so this idea about um them making associations between things that are personal is just uh again with the kind of geographic metaphors um asking them to locate themselves on the subject not define the field you know just sort of say here I am um and um here are my thoughts on this Mm. particular thing that I'm you know standing next to or my work kind of relates to um and then asking them to kind of yeah move out from that point and sort of um consider what a kind of neighboring context to that might be and to sort of slowly shift themselves into that position and say okay so this context um whatever it might be let's say um you're sort of working in typography but you're interested in um some you know feminist theory but you know you don't know where to start and you just find like the smallest point of access you know it's just that one kind of glyph that's been designed by somebody who you know um did so with a kind of um uh sort of feminist agenda um and you just mm-hmm. concentrate on it like that becomes your sole focus and you just describe it and um relate to it and then you try and find an, a, a point to make a relation to something else and you just kind of go from there and you just create a network in your writing or a constellation 
that you know when you finally get perspective on your research and on your writing you know you can you can trace the connections but the writing itself you know the idea of like crafting a sentence um the way I get to that is through reading you know that's how I came to it I didn't think of myself Mm. as a a Mm -hmm. gifted writer and I, I still don't but um you know I I read a lot and I find sentences and other people's writing that um sort of help me define an idea and then I work with that sentence yeah. you know, I, I include it and then uh, again I just make a connection between um the kind of a, a single sentence and a, and a bigger idea and I encourage my students to do the same you know find find sentences that you like reading and then write about them and that's that you know Brian's yeah. um, supposed a sentence that's <laughs> that's really where that's from and that's um Rings of Saturn as well is one of those where, you know, it is just one long yeah. silk thread and he's just following it and it's sentence to sentence. So the daunting thing, I think, as a student and as a visual student is that you're um, you are working towards an outcome um, and you're working through experimentation. And this is you know, you're manipulating things, you know, with your hands or whatever. Um and no one ever said to me that that's how you could write. Um, but that is, you know, mm. the kind of writing I like to teach. You know, you, you can use the same language um, and just try things out. I mean, that's yeah. what essays are. Yeah. They're just attempts at things. I love that. I it, it brings up all sorts of questions about editing also. And, yeah. and you've done a fair amount of editing. I mean, at the, at the London College of Communication, you started um, a line which... A line which forms a volume, which is like I've gotten a couple of those uh, those sent to me over the, the last couple of years, and they're always so great. You co-edited the most recent Bricks from the Kiln. I had a uh, uh, Andrew and Matthew on the show a couple of years ago. How how does you know this kind of way of thinking about writing that you're talking about when you're working with students? How does that kind of uh, manifest itself in this editing work? And is your process different uh, when you are working with a writer as their editor versus when you're kind of writing a text on your own how do you approach each of those roles differently um i actually heard somebody else define this in a <laughs> a really neat way so i'm just going to steal it um i was listening to the new editors of the white review um there's like three new editors mm. for the white review which is like a literary journal um uh, based in london mm-hmm. um and one of the editors was talking about uh, the process of editing as being in the in between reading and writing um, and occupying you know mm. not quite one or the other and I really relate to that because you know um, not that reading is like a passive activity in any sense but um, the you know the way that editors can kind of interrupt reading um, and interject with writing or at least you know prompts that um, sort of open up a sentence or, or or a phrase for a for a writer um it's just super interesting so like this kind of halfway point um between reading and writing is kind of how I identify with it um the a language forms a volume which yeah uh, Paul Bailey has also been on your show mm-hmm, so yeah. um he's the course leader for MA MA graphic media designer um London College Communication so uh he's my uh he uh he's my colleague and um encouraged me to uh teach a kind of writing to um design students which um was all about making their research public um and not that a journal is the only 
you know space to make things public there's also you know, other aspects to align which forms of volume that involve you know yeah. um, making it audible symposia you know recordings and website um but yeah this it became like a vehicle for the students to um publish aspects of the writing that i would work with them on um and you know sometimes it's just like a cross-section of a of a singular idea sometimes it's like a a description of a whole project um other times it's interviews that students have conducted oh sorry participants have conducted with um people that they have um, been interested in in terms of like their own research so it's like an opportunity to make like the research public um at a kind of formative stage and not at a kind of um, realized or consolidated stage um so yeah and it was a it was a great success for us um as a team because uh, it became like a like I say, like a vehicle that allowed us to then sort of take this work immediately outside of the institution, uh, distribute it um, and get it into right. your hands um, in a way that maybe you wouldn't have accessed if, if they were only, you know, exhibiting in an end of your show or, you know, there were like these kind of yeah. satellite moments. But yeah, and it's now um, going into its um, sixth edition. So um fifth edition sorry yeah with um actually the editorial team working on that so it's like a rolling editorial model so it's not just you know it's it's um supervised by an editorial advisor of which you know i was the first one um for that first issue but ever since then um a kind of external person has advised but the editorial team has been made up of the students Mm. um and this model would then sort of roll over to the next year and they would sort of hand over like a like the assets of the previous issues which would then sort of be interpreted and kind of reformed by the next um, by the next team, um, and so there's like this again like a through line, uh, this line that forms a volume, um, and that sort of yeah that's the kind of momentum. Um, so yeah, that's um, I think it's an interesting editorial model, um, and um, my role as an editor there was like actually kind of logistical I think um, just sort of tips and tricks and um nobody really wants to talk about commas but I love talking about commas so I would sort of be there for that conversation um where possible um and then for Bricks from the Kiln um I'd written for Bricks um published what is maybe one of my favorite essays I've ever published for them and then they very nicely invited me to come and edit mm. um with, together with um, Natalie Ferris um as well as uh Matt Stewart and Andrew Walshlister so um, it was like a editing four ways. Um, and yeah, the, I mean, that process of putting out issue four was kind of interesting in that it began with an event and um, we had this kind of right. a set of really amazing conversations between us about a theme of translation, which was also expanded to include transmission and transposition as kind of three things that um, design is doing, um, but writing is also doing, and other you know disciplines are also doing. And how can we sort of look at one sort of interpretation of those themes from another discipline and sort of apply it to what we know about design? Um, and so we started with a event, a symposium um, that was almost two years ago now, and um, the contributors to that event were you know what they produced was then sort of con- consolidated into the issue along with kind of other things that were kind of feeding in or feeding from those presentations so it sort of assembled itself through a series of events and then yeah uh, the issue itself is like a real s'mores board 
I mean, it's like writing in collaboration. Um, sorry, editing in collaboration. Yeah. Um, of which you know uh, Matthew and Andrew are kind of um, steer steering that, and um, Natalie and I were able to sort of come in and um, be like, "What about this writer? What about this text?" Um, you know, and find kind of yeah tendrils from maybe outside of um, Andrew and Matt's um, immediate sphere of knowledge and sort of try and bring those in. And um, yeah, it was it was wonderful. I have a couple kind of just quick specific questions to wrap mm-hmm. up. In multiple biographies of yours that I found scattered around oh, the internet, uh, the, a version a version of this line comes up again and again. Her writing and research focuses on figurative and spatial obliquity, things that lean, slopes, diagonals, digressions, etc. Can you talk about that interest and kind of why why <laughs> you're interested in that and what that research and work is is all about? Absolutely. And if you'd asked me that question at the beginning, that's what the whole podcast would be about. Um, so, yeah, um, my that's oblique... That's why I saved it for the <laughs> yeah. end. Um, okay. So, yeah, the Oblique Project um, is the the work that I produce at the end of my time at the RCA. Um, and it's a collection of essays that um, take this theme of Oblique. And um, the fact that I was allowed to do that um, is like testament to Brian and David Crowley and um, Jeremy Miller and um, the other tutors there, because I essentially um, tried something out every sort of 1500 words, um, a new subject, a new way of writing. Um, and um, from all of these parts, I was able to create like a project which was looking at its subjects like literally. So as you say, like diagonals, I wrote a, um, about the forward slash, um, which is more interesting than it sounds, I hope. Um, and uh, the kind of uh, slopes in architecture. So I was looking at the oblique function for, uh, that was put forward by Claude Perrant and um, Paul Virilio. Um, but I was also looking at a kind of oblique way of moving between subjects. So um, I had like a, a number of visual essays that were looking at modes of digression and deviation as a way to sort of get around a subject. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, um, if you'll allow me to sort of talk through some of it, I, you know, there's, um, the subjects are really kind of quite ranging, like the, um, the forward slashes are kind of a chronicle, a typographic chronicle of what is the, one of the earliest marks of oral mm. delivery. So it's one of the earliest marks of punctuation. Um, and it has this incredible multiplicity of meaning mm. over time. And that is something that I'm really interested in um, exploring in my writing, which is you know, when a single mark is sort of insignificant and as discreet as a forward slash um, sort of opens up this world of this. Yeah, I mean, it's um, everything from um, Theodore Adorno and Samuel Beckett through to um, kind of heraldry and um, the kind of earliest um, mm. kind of manuscripts and marks for rubricated. You know, it's it kind of goes all over the place, but it's um, sort of centered in this tiny mark. Um but you know, relate that to the the knight's move in chess as the kind of oblique move that Viktor Shostakovich mm. based his theory upon, um, and then relate that to Dagen H, which is this day um, in Swedish history when they went from driving on the left to driving on the right hand side of the road, um, and this one singular day mm. was called Dagen H, and it was chaos, and there were these phenomenal images of cars just like diagonally strewn across the road and just just a beautiful um, oblique moment in like a visual in a very um sort of conceptual way 
but yeah, I mean, this, um, the oblique um, is kind of ongoing and I um, use it as a, I'm using it at the moment as a, uh, as a way to talk about kind of digressions and, um, and a kind of history, a kind mm. of digressive history of the written page and a kind of, well, it's a Western written page. I also saw that you, I couldn't find too much information about this, that you co-organized a conference about John Berger. Mm. And I'm curious what he meant to you um, and how he may have kind of influenced your own thinking as a writer. I think I'm not unique in the influences on Berger at art school in the, you know, reading ways of seeing was like yeah. the aha moment. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, the fact that design kind of goes from the front page, sort of like, right, let's do this, you know, like, um, we don't mm-hmm. need no fly sheets, mm-hmm. you know, no end note, um, end papers, we just get straight to it. Um, that sort of suited my um, sensibilities about, you know, how to approach the subject. Um, yeah, so John Bird did that that conference was um again like another opportunity to work with my tutors um while I was still at um the RCA and I just I was like a yeah, on the paper I'm a co-organizer, but it's it was like really bringing together loads of collaborators that had worked with John Berger over the years and um it was actually held while he was still alive and but he was um not well enough to come over. So it was a very mm. kind of social and almost like familial um conference and that you know all these people that had these like close associations with him were sharing stories and um and uh, you know the way that his work had sort of informed them and then I was able to uh, I'd one of the one of the attendees um who was a friend of John's had said oh he would write his notes on the conference um whatever paperwork was given to him at a conference or a talk and so on the program I wrote him a letter um just to sort of you know, as a summary of the oh, day and like what the what the day meant to everybody there, and and he wrote back, oh, man. and it is my treasured possession. Yeah, so it means everything. He means everything, but wow. uh, but he, I mean, confabulations, um, kind of everything actually that he's done in a yeah. in a particularly nonfiction um, realm has been of influence to me. I mean, his work is full of um, feats of association and the kind of truest Robert Frost sense, like. He um he was yeah. capable of um this thing that um I read it in a Maggie Nelson book, but it's um Maurice Mallow Ponty, this idea that um words don't mm. look like what they mean. Um and somehow mm-hmm. he was able yeah. to make words look like what they mean. And um I can't I can't really think <laughs> yeah. of any other writer that does that. Um but that, you know, this idea of like the word on the page is like of so much interest to me. Like, um, I don't think I'll ever get bored of yeah. writing about that. Um, and that's what keeps me within the sphere of graphic design, I think, and doesn't stop me sort of, you know, on some oblique trajectory completely into space. Um, that I kind of feel like all of my write, all of my writing and all of my research is centered on this very John Berger um, attention to the word on the page. Um, and this idea of like, you know, writing as a sign as much as a phonetic system um, and signs are open yeah. to interpretation. And yeah, that's like a constant endeavor for me to constantly interpret. I mean, it, it leads perfectly into what my last question is, which is which is the question I used to end all of these. I'm just curious what you're reading right now. What, what books are, uh, are top of mind for you? Um, Very Hungry Caterpillar. 
giant jam sandwich no i mean i do i think the books i probably read the most <laughs> are children's books at this time but i get as much out of that yeah yeah i don't think no um what am i actually reading like an adult um gay bar by jeremy atherton lynn um which is a kind of phenomenal work okay. by um a, a peer from the royal college who's sort of gone on and written this phenomenal work um which is a kind of memoir but also a cultural history of um of these places that he sort of inhabited but have obviously been inhabited before him and looking at the kind of cultural significance of those spaces um and it's just it's um an, an exemplar for me um in how you can write about a place mm. um but also i'm kind of referring back to a book called slacklands which i i don't know if you're um already familiar with no but um the, well, I don't my, know that. Yeah, so um, Slacklands is a is a book um, written by Karina Dean, and it's a visual compendium of um, images of um, a, a very specific kind of rural architecture, um, that um, mm. like sort of like bunker architecture and things like that. Um, but it's really curious in that a lot of the um, images sort of capture kind of uh, a coming together of really different kind of vernacular architecture types um but this book it includes um these amazing studies um by peter mentini who's my collaborator um and former tutor at camberwell um so it's like a really amazing um object um and inquiry and again like touches on loads of subjects and ideas that i'm interested in um but it's really beautifully designed <laughs> I would expect nothing less <laughs> from you. Uh, Bryony, this was this was so fun. I really enjoyed talking to you about your work. I'm I'm a fan of your writing, so it's nice to nice to chat about it. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. This episode was recorded on May 28th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcast and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>